0: Hello, welcome to the Westside podcast. This is where we'll post some of our audio from our sermons on Sunday, and we're so glad that you're here. Westside's vision is to reconcile people to God through the grace of Jesus step by step. We hope you enjoy and thanks for tuning in. Man, just three more weeks here in Genesis, and then on to Advent. Advent is always one of my absolute favorite times of year, um, and so I'm—I've uh, loved this uh, Genesis series. I'm excited to have a couple more weeks here, but also very much looking forward to uh, a time of Advent together to get to celebrate together as a as a church, as as a family, uh, the people of God, uh, getting to. Uh, focus our hearts in a particular way uh, in a season that uh, wants to draw us in a whole lot of other directions. Um, But for today, we are still in Genesis, and and today's going to feel a little bit different. I want to, with three more weeks in this Genesis series, it's obvious that we're not going to focus on a whole lot of uh, individual scenes at this point, but rather take some broader swaths. And, And what I Want to focus on in particular, Um, as I have gone back through the Book of Genesis uh, just these last couple of months, um, I have been struck time and time again at the the portrait of faith that is conveyed all throughout. Um, I think I've thought of Genesis uh, as a lot of different things over the years, and I am just so compelled this time around. And isn't that great that it, it, as we come to Scripture again and again, like the way that God can um, renew the message to us, like that is just a beautiful thing. And like for me, this time around through the book of Genesis, I've just been blown away by how much. Um, how much talk there is of faithful characters and and what that particular faith looks like. Um, And so what I want to do is as we round out the story of Abraham, Genesis 22 we looked at last week and that's kind of the last big scene in the life of Abraham. We get the story of Abraham's death a few chapters later, but Genesis 22 really rounds out the Abraham story uh, for us. And what I... I want to do is to take a broader, like like more of a ten thousand foot view of of his story, and then the way the subject matter shifts from the Abraham story to what follows. And a part of what we should always be trying to do, as as believers, as people of the book, as people who who want to read as a part of our discipleship, read Scripture faithfully. We ought to be working to become. Um, Skilled interpreters and, and faithful and, and just like better readers in general, and sometimes that involves taking a, a close look at some very like specific details of the text, and other times it takes a, a stepping back and seeing how scenes are placed together. You know, Genesis was a story that was put together so far after the events actually took place that it was it was a craft it was a book that was crafted a skilled editor put it together in, in a particular way. And to see the way that those things develop over time and the way subject matters and themes shift over time, it can be just as instructive as like a nitty-gritty detailed exegesis of looking at one particular verse. So it's, sometimes it's helpful just to take broad, broad swaths uh, all at once. And so what I want to what I want to do is just draw out a couple of principles. We're not going to so much be looking at specific verses, but just a couple of principles from the life of Abraham and then moving forward as well. We've seen already in in the life uh, and story of Abraham that he is by no means a perfect figure. Um, He's one who is inclined towards making decisions. Uh, when the situation gets tricky, he's inclined towards making decisions out of self-preservation. Uh, we've seen this in a couple of different instances. When he gets to Egypt and he tells the lie about Sarah being his, uh, his sister, a, a, a mistake that he repeats later on in, in the book as well. Um, and we've seen it in the, in the case of Ishmael as well. Hagar and Ishmael, him saying like, "I'm not quite sure. Like, God is definitely going to provide, but I'm not seeing it yet, so I'm going to take matters into my own hand." They're, those are just acts out of self-preservation. Nothing um, on the on the surface that would um, be all that different than the way that we would want to approach our lives if we're if we're being honest, just as humans trying to get through things. But is is different than what God had called him to. Yet and yet in the midst of that backdrop uh not always being the greatest character um Abraham becomes throughout the rest of scripture sort of this emblematic character like this you want to know what faith is you look at Abraham first like Abraham becomes the one that other authors of scripture look to and point to as an example of faith. And so uh, so we're going to get into Hebrews 11 actually a little bit. Sometimes one of the best ways to interpret one passage of scripture is to see the way that another passage talks talks about it. We'll get into Hebrews 11 he- here in, in a little bit to see some of those details. But w- one of the things I find fascinating about the life uh, of Abraham is just how much time takes place over the course of this story and how few details we, we actually get. And it's a good reminder to us. Uh, I want to talk this morning about the relationship between faith and faithfulness. Faith and faithfulness, two, two concepts that we can uh, at times put in different categories Sometimes we associate faith more with this idea of belief in a figure, belief in God. And in our minds and in our approach, sometimes that just goes hand in hand with, well, I mentally assent to these things. I I agree with these things about God. I say in, in my mind and in my heart, yeah, those things are true. And we call that belief. And while that is an element of it, there is this whole other realm of faith called faithfulness. And, and sometimes we put faithfulness in this other category, right? And we say, well, I, I have faith and I, I will get around to the faithfulness part. Some, some days are better than others. And that's, and that's true. But I, I think we should not be quite so, quite so quick to separate those ideas out in scripture. One, because the very language of scripture, both in Hebrew and in Greek, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, the words that are used for faith and for faithfulness are, are virtually interchangeable. And it really depends on context. That Context helps us determine which one that we should use in a given context, in a given situation. Faith and faithfulness, They are one and the same. We could say it this way. We could say that faith is primarily exhibited through faithfulness. If you want to know if you have faith, James sort of talks like this, right? If you want to know if you have faith, you can see it in the daily lived experience of your life. A a, A slow, steady, plodding along, faithful movement in a particular direction. It's not, faith is not so much about these major events. And with Abraham, we do get major events. God comes to him and says, I need you to go to a land that you don't know. And Abram gets up and he goes. Like that's that's a major event. Like Abraham is faithful with this call to circumcision that, that God calls him and his people to. That, that is a major event. And we looked last week at Genesis 22 and the whole ordeal with, with Isaac and going up of the mountain like those are key things and because we get specific stories about them it would be easy for us to say abraham's faith happens in those moments and that is true but abraham's faith is not just relegated to those specific instances. I'm reminded of the hinge verse between chapter 16 and 17. The end of chapter 16 gives us this little detail. Abraham was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. The next verse, chapter 17, starts out this way. When Abraham was 99 years old, 13 verses just happened between those, uh, 13 years just happened between those verses, between those chapters. Ever wonder if Abraham, talking with talking with God after the fact, was just like, "Hey, I helped my neighbor a few times. Like, in there, could we not have gotten like a little detail about like s- something something decent from those 13 years?" And not to bother you, but just like think about where you were 13 years ago. That is to bother you, actually. Yeah. What? Where where, where? where? Where were you 13 years ago? That massive gap in Abraham's life just happens like, like it's not even, not even there. But surely there is a plodding along in the right direction. Sometimes we can learn so much from what scripture doesn't say as much as, it, as what it does say. 13 years of him just being a guy. Trying to follow this God who has called him. I like to think of faithfulness as this. Faithfulness is just small steps towards God, whatever the life situation may be. Small steps towards God, whatever the life situation. The good days and the bad days, and perhaps more importantly, the in-between days. The... The, the quiet ones, uh, the ones that may seem like mundane in, in some way. It is the small little steps that happen on those particular days, just generally moving in the direction that God has called. Like that is a closer uh, approximation of what faith is than any big event that we could, could conjure in our, in our minds. There are moments, there are critical moments where God calls us to a massive leap of faith, to take a big risk, to take a step that we just like aren't quite sure about. That, that I, don't, I don't wanna say that that is not part of it. That is absolutely an element of, of the life that God calls us to. But so much more of it is these little mundane moments moving towards the God who is faithful, we learn from the story of, of Abraham that faith requires this faithfulness in, in unknown moments. In so many moments, God calls Abraham to something that he doesn't have all the answers to. It's, it's just a matter of, of taking a step towards and, and trusting that some clarity is going to come and then maybe not come actually. Faith requires faithfulness towards the in the midst of the unknown, in the midst of the uncomfortable. As well, there are some awkward moments and some difficult seasons in Abraham's life, and it just requires a little bit of faith to move on to. The next day. This is the way Hebrews tells us about uh, Abraham. If, you, if you've if you got your Bible, you could turn to Hebrews chapter 11. These are a couple of verses that we looked at um, a few weeks ago. I want to return to them and then expand our reading in, in Hebrews 11, just, just to get a, a sense of how are, how are the New Testament believers, the very first like people of Jesus on this planet, how are they thinking about this particular story? That ought to be instructive for us. Hebrews 11, starting in verse eight, says this, by faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, going off into the unknown there, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land, like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise, for he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. He has this forward-looking perspective. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful, who had made the promise. So fascinating that that is the detail that comes through. Like we could read the story, we could go back and read the story of Of Abraham and Sarah. And what does Sarah do when she's told that she's going to have a child at old age? She laughs. She laughs because there's no way it's going to happen. You got to be kidding me, God. That is not going to take place. It would be like us to harp on that detail, right? Our mockery of God. Our, our lack of faith in that moment. But you know what happens just a couple later in, in the Sarah and Abraham story? When Isaac actually is born, she laughs again, but this time out of joy. God redeems her laughter. There's a, a laughter of mockery and there's a laughter of joy. And, and God says, I'm gonna name your kid. Your kid's gonna be named Saak, Isaac which is the word to to call out. It's another word for laughter. And now every time you're going to remember, every time you call Isaac's name, you're going to remember that I turned your mocking posture into one of joy and fulfillment. And that's the detail That's the detail. Sarah's faithfulness is the thing that gets picked up on in Hebrews 11. God does not get hung up on our little fits of unfaith in the same way that we do. And we have to remember that his faithfulness is the one that is sustaining the story, not ours. And so from this one man, verse 12, so from this one man, and he is good as dead. A real old man Abraham was at this point. He as good as dead came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. And then look at the next verse here. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. Now just think about that for a second. They didn't receive the things that were promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. What a beautiful little phrase. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on the earth. One of the most important aspects of faith in God and faithfulness towards God is a willingness to say this this here and now, this earth, this place, this country, it's not my ultimate home. There, there's a perspective. <laughs> you can take that perspective and, and go, okay. So the here and now doesn't matter at all. I don't need to. I don't need to to worry about this, that, and the other. And, and that's not ever the point. Like God wants us to be invested in, in the here and now, meeting the needs of those around us. That is absolutely the case but but sometimes we just we just need a reminder that that this world is not it. it is not ultimately it but the god who calls us is calling us as foreigners and strangers in this time it's not that we aren't engaged here it's just that we aren't at home here fully We need that reminder on hard weeks, right? That the, that the, the pains of this particular moment are not ultimate. Uh, and we also need it on good weeks um, because we, we fancy our successes a little bit too much sometimes. And those also are not ultimate. While we're here, I, I just feel a need to, to say this. We, we're in November, um, which makes it like a year since I like preached here for the first time, which is crazy. Like that, is, that is wild. I like did not see this coming like 12, 12 months later. But here we are, and we're, we're loving it. It's so exciting. We love being here. Um, Twelve months from now, there's going to be an election. And the last couple rounds of elections, um, I mean, we all know it, 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 it's been it's been rough. It's been it's been really sad to see the way culture has uh, has so splintered and gotten so noisy in so many different directions. And like, it's, when when we invest too much on it, on the political side of a country that is not our ultimate home when we get too invested. I'm not saying we can't care about politics. Like let me just interrupt myself right there. I'm not saying we should not care about politics. We should care about policies and the figures who we think are going to help implement good and faithful policies like in the in the space that we are living in. We should care about that absolutely. But when we become like too invested in particular figures or outcomes or the way that certain elections go, what we're what we are doing is we are mistaking this place for our ultimate home. You are never going to hear from me for a number of reasons. You are never going to hear from me an encouragement to vote for a particular figure over another one. Like we we're, we don't do that here. Like that's, you, you're never going to hear that from me. What you're going to hear from me Steadily for the next twelve months, and then beyond that, is the kind is a push to be a particular kind of person, a particular kind of foreigner and stranger in this in this time and space, a, a a particular kind of person who is not so hung up on political trends and and figures and whatnot that they can't can't see that God has called us to be strangers in this land not at home in this land let's let's not be folks whose primary personality trait is political discussion okay it's good to care it's not good to get obsessed My friend Emily and I were at the at the Ducks game. Ducks. She's a USC fan, but we. That's fine. That's fine. Yeah. Um, <laughs> she went there, so it's like she's got skin in the game. It's fine. Uh, and we were talking about the difference between like folks who care about college football, and then like the folks who are like, "Oh wow, this is this is like your." This is so much more than an interest for you, isn't it? This is this is your this is your life. This is your personality. Like I don't know what happens like Sunday through Friday for you. Like it's just it seems like this is you know, there's a difference between being interested in and being obsessed with. And we got to be careful not to. So let's be strangers. Let's be faithful strangers in a foreign land. And let's approach our. Our politics, our faith, and our everything—in—in in that way—that was an aside that you'll probably hear another fifty-two times in the next year. <laughs> what I love about Hebrews eleven thirteen is this emphasis, this reminder that we're not always going to see the end result. We're not always going to see the thing that God promised to. Us, which is important because for us, there will always be a temptation to fixate on the promise or to fixate on the blessing rather than the one who gives that blessing. And when we get more fixated on the blessing than the than the giver of the blessing, we start to betray our, our homeland. We start to say, I think my homeland is here. I want this thing. God has promised this, this thing. And we get so fixated on the thing that we forget that it's all about the relationship with God in in the first place the the blessing that was promised to Abraham and Sarah it was expansive it was huge God kept saying the stars and and the sand of the the seashore, you're not even gonna be able to count your, your descendants. That's a huge promise, but not one that they were actually able to see. There was one specific clue that that promise was going to come true. And it was Isaac. And that promise did come fulfilled. And they did experience that in one sense, but there's another sense in which they did not ever get to see that which was promised to them. but the blessing was coming nonetheless. I, and what I I made a little visual representation of, of this. I, I find this so fascinating in the way that the book of Genesis starts to develop. We talked from the very beginning, even in our, in our uh, talks about Genesis 1 and 2, how God was initiating blessing from the very beginning. But look at how frequently blessing shows up in the story. Look at this high-tech... Uh, uh, you know it, yeah looking at how uh, advanced this is you would think that this was not a long project but you know it's it took longer than i would i'd like to admit but here we are <laughs> the the dark gray boxes are the first 22 chapters uh the the bulk of the story before abraham and then up through the life uh, of Abraham. And those stars are the dimensions of blessing. It's there. It permeates the story all throughout, but it's sporadic, right? It happens here, happens there, happens in the story of Isaac and Abraham for sure. But then in these next intervening chapters, 23 through 36, the the characters that get talked about here that this is the part of the story that stitches together from Abraham to Isaac and to Jacob. As we move on in the Old Testament, when we hear the promise, the covenant promise recited, it's often with this formula for Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Those are the chapters that do that. They they stitch together. Abraham had Isaac and then Isaac has Jacob. And Esau. and over the course of these chapters, once Abraham is out of the picture, look at how frequently the blessing language starts to increase. Look at how much it pervades the entire story. Abraham is out of the scene and the promise to Abraham starts to explode. It starts to go everywhere. Not something that Abraham was ever able to see with his very eyes, but it is that much more true nonetheless. It happens. It happens for his descendants. What God said was going to happen does happen. And it even though he didn't get to see it, we got to trust that our faithful plodding along our daily little steps towards God are moving towards a blessing that we may not actually get to see. There's a good chance that our faithfulness ought to be more, a, the result of that is going to be more about somebody else, what somebody else is going to experience. Isn't it like God? T- to do that. One of the things as you read through these chapters, I have to say uh, the characters don't get better. <laughs> it's not like it's not that God goes like, oh, they're behaving better now and now I will bless them. No, it's not the characters getting better. It's not an improved morality. We see the same mistakes that Abraham made start to follow through in his kids. This is family systems theory before there was family systems theory. Like Genesis is that. We see his his kids start to make the same mistake. We we see Jacob be this deceitful person from the very beginning of his life and then he ends up encountering deceitful people like a, a the whole story. It, it's not an upward trajectory of people getting better and better, but the, the God who promised is faithful throughout. God sticks faithfully with what he said he was going to do, even when our trajectory is sketchy at best. The It's fascinating to me that as much as this is a story about the faith of people, the only one who gets called faithful time and time again in the story is God. God is the one who is called faithful. Abraham believed God and it credited to him as righteousness. Yes, there was that faith element there. Do you want to know whose faithfulness was carrying along the bulk of this story? It was God's, God's faithfulness fascinating that Paul talks about the faith of Jesus in a similar way it is the faithfulness of Jesus that sustains our faith far more than our own this is how it's gone from the very beginning we rest on that beautiful foundation of the faithfulness of God and and just hear that, West side, hear that church, that you, however you feel like you're coming here this morning, whatever energy that you have or, or don't have, the faithfulness of God is sustaining whether you feel it or not, whether you see it or not. The faithfulness of God will sustain can we trust our small daily steps of faithfulness? Can we trust that those are a part of God's bigger plan to to fulfill his promises and to bring blessing to others? Can we can we learn to trust that uh, A couple of years ago in a in a weird in-between season, of my own life, I called up a a mentor from Wheaton. He had been a professor and just someone who had been very dear in my life. And just whenever things are a little bit, I eh, I always call up my mentor Dan, and we were we were talking through things. I was just like frustrated and trying to see what God was doing, and um, and he. He said "These Dan was all about axioms. Uh, he, was a, he was a teacher of education, but also theology and everything. And, um, he's like, well, here's your axiom for, uh, for today. He said, nothing needs to change for faithfulness to be present. And he was talking about my life. And we have this up on a little sign in our, uh, in our living room so we can never get too far Oh, away from it, because some sometimes we get hung up on, sometimes we fixate on the blessing, and sometimes we just get to this like dissatisfied spot in life where we feel like something's got to change, and we're we're waiting on external stuff around us to shift when the internal move towards God is really what is most needed. Nothing needs to change in our lives right now for us to be able to be faithful with the stuff that is in our lives right now. God will be faithful. God has been faithful. God is, God will be faithful in the moment. And so I I think we ought to, what I wanna do is close with uh, this simple question. Are we spending more energy waiting for circumstances to change? Or are we spending that energy on small daily steps of faithfulness? Because if we're not careful, we can expend a whole lot of time and energy and money trying to make the stuff, trying to make the external stuff shift when God is saying, like, I don't need that stuff to shift. Actually, I've got that stuff handled. What I need is your heart. What I need is some buy-in here. What I need is just a daily step, not some massive step. Maybe God's calling you to that. But a small, steady plotting towards God. Faith is not any fancier than that. It can be quite boring a lot of the time, and that is just the point. Are we waiting for external stuff to shift when internal matters ought to, ought to take priority? And this is difficult though, because as much as we uplift the faithfulness of God, sometimes we just don't see it. Sometimes we, we're just like, we just feel lost, and we're just like wondering where, God is and it is in that exact moment. It, the whole point here is that the, the posture of faith, there were so many there were so many of those moments where, where we don't really see Abraham and God interacting at all where Abraham had to wonder, is God ever going to come through? And faith, brothers and sisters, is just that willingness in that moment of unknown to say. Okay. And to trust that God is going to come through the way He said that He would. Uh, I want to close. Um, uh, Walter Brueggemann is an Old Testament uh, scholar who's he's got a number of uh, a prayer books, and uh, occasionally in my classes I'll open or close a um, a class session with one of those. And there's there's uh, a number here that talk about the the nature of faith, and one in particular. Um, that I find particularly um, uh, fitting for this moment and for this passage and this set of, of chapters that we've looked at here today. Uh, worship team, you can go ahead and come on up as I read through this. This is a prayer entitled, With or Without You. It's not gonna be up on, on the screen, so just like maybe take a moment and just close your eyes and, and listen. Let, let the truth of this just seep into your heart with or without you. We tell these stories about being hungry and thirsty and frightened and angry and desperate. And then we tell stories about your food and your water and your presence. But the second half of the story does not ring powerfully true in our own experience, so much so that we find ourselves and our whole beloved community are often pilgrims in a barren land. And we find our sophistication and our affluence does not at all treat our condition of wilderness. So finally, we are driven back to you, about to receive and then drawn up short by the one who has nowhere to lay his head either. We are bold to pray for your gifts and for your presence but we do so prepared to endure a while longer our thirst and our hunger and our sense of absence because we have resolved to be on our way with or without you.